Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Hey everyone, Zoe here, so excited to be with you this morning, virtually, uh, but even more excited because my wife Khadija and I are on our way to the neighborhood. Um, We are roughly a week away uh, from being with you all in person, permanently. And uh, actually, right now, as I'm recording this talk on James, you should see my apartment. It is absolutely bare. Everything is on boxes and on a truck and on its way to BC. So we could not be more excited. The only thing here we have is this equipment, my Bible, and instant coffee. Now I know what you're thinking, Gabby. Uh, How could Zoe commit such a grave mortal sin like drinking instant coffee? And I just want to remind you of the words of Jesus that say, love your enemies and bless those uh, who drink stuff like this, like instant coffee. So not my words, Jesus's words, just, you know, food for thought, Gabby. Uh, anyways, I'm just playing and I apologize for the digression. Let's jump into our text this morning. And I just got to say, uh, I hope during your devotional time that you likewise have been jumping into the book of James. I don't naturally gravitate to the book of James. I'll tell you why. The genre of literature that James is, is wisdom literature. And what does that mean? Well, it means that it's a type of literature that you need to really slow down as you read and reread and and chew on it and and pour a hot cup of tea and go back and reread it again and chew on it again. It's, It's one of those that is difficult to plumb the depths, if not impossible to plumb the depths of what James is actually trying to articulate and communicate for us. I'm generally, I'm a gospel guy. I'm an Old Testament prophets and poets kind of guy. But as I've been diving into James myself during my devotional time and preparing for this message, I have loved it, you guys. It is incredible. It is challenging. James will get in your business. Um, He will rub you the wrong way. He will confront you. And it's those types of friends Um, that are worth their weight in gold, that really help us to grow and to become more like Jesus. And that's the whole point of the Christian walk anyways, is to become more like Jesus. So James, you've got to read it, and um, I hope you're enjoying it if you are reading it. So anyways, I'm going to start with a story. And this story comes from church history. And you guys, this is one of my heroes of the faith. And her name is Fabiola. Now, if you've never heard of Fabiola, it's worth Googling her to read up about her life. Or you can pick up a book called Bullies and Saints uh, by Dr. John Dixon, and, and you'll find out her story there, too. But let me just tell you a little bit about her. Fabiola was the daughter of one of the seven founding families of the mighty Roman Empire in the 300s. What does that mean? It means that she was more powerful and wealthy than we can ever dare to imagine. 
She was well-connected. She was prestigious. She was insulated in this. She was elite par excellence in her world. The Roman Empire had dominated the, the land for hundreds of years before Jesus and hundreds of years after. So she's really living in the glory days of the Roman Empire. And it is, it is phenomenal that we have this account about her. But so anyways, she is wealthy and well-connected and powerful. And one day she gets wed to this gentleman. And this gentleman is actually not a gentleman. She inhabits a horrific marriage. The marriage toxic does not begin to describe the vicious marriage that she inhabited. And after one particular evening of a horrific domestic um, uh, violent experience, she, she said, I, I've had enough of this I'm gonna, and I'm getting a divorce. And she's able to get a divorce because she was so well connected. And as she gets her divorce and she removes herself from the situation, she begins a journey of healing and getting away from the trauma that she had just gone through. And in that process, at the beginning of her journey, she comes across a group of Christians. Now, this broken and scarred woman, eventually, after several conversations, with these Christians ends up giving her life to Jesus Christ and is utterly transformed beyond any recognition afterwards. Now you have to think about this. This is so fascinating. In a world and culture where power, conquest, glory were dominant on the hierarchy of values, whether it is of the hierarchy scale of society or of the sacred realm, what an astonishing experience it must have been to hear the good news of a God who came not in terror and grandeur, but in meekness and in love. So profound was her, her life transformed by this new relationship with the God of meekness and of love that she renounced all of her possessions. She took it and sold everything and gave it to the poor and committed herself to serving her community, to serving the poor and to serving those who were sick. And in fact, she was so influential and her life was so transformed that Fabiola is accredited for founding the very first public hospital. Now, one of her contemporaries, a gentleman named Jerome, he was a historian and theologian, prominent church figure in the 300s while, um, while Fabiola was around. And, and after Fabiola passed away, Jerome was given the privilege of doing her eulogy. And he wrote this, and I'm going to read this little extract from it. He says this about Fabiola. Fabiola broke up and sold all that she could lay her hands on of her property. And when she had turned it into money, she disposed everything for the benefit of the poor. First of all, she founded an infirmary and gathered into it sufferers from the streets, giving a nurse's care to poor bodies worn with sickness and hunger, maimed noses, lost eyes, scorched 
feet, leprous hands and swollen bellies. How often she carried on her own shoulders poor filthy wretches tortured with epilepsy. How often did she wash wounds which others could not even endure to look at. She gave food with her own hands, and even when a man was but a breathing corpse, she moistened his lips with drops of water. And all of Rome was not large enough for her kindness. And all of Rome was not large enough for her kindness. Fabiola's story of encountering the God of meekness and of love is extraordinary. And it's extraordinary as we think about it and think about it with me here. Fabiola's story is a story that articulates that the redemptive power of God's grace and love is not only transforming to the recipient, but is so powerful that it births a whole new world of meaning in life and healing to those around her. In other words, it wasn't only her life that changed, the lives of every person around her changed as a result of her new relationship with Jesus Christ. She was a new human being after encountering the risen Savior. And the key truth out of our text from James is that James is summoning us. He is summoning the church. He's summoning followers of Jesus to be new kinds of human and to partake in new kinds of community, a community that is radically reorientated, not hyper-focused on themselves, but hyper-focused on others. Just like the meek and lowly king, uh, when I say that phrase, I'm quoting Matthew eleven twenty nine. It is a life that, that is reflecting the life of its savior. It's imitating, and, and James is, is getting in our business. Who is wise among you? Who is understanding among you? Let your actions demonstrate. Let your actions demonstrate that you are living this life and let it be done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, this is a really interesting thing to think about. Meekness is the opposite of self-interest. It is the opposite of aggression. It has undertones of gentleness in it, but it is a mentality and lifestyle that you inhabit that forgets about self. And the amazing thing that is on offer when we start following Jesus and imitating the life and example that he laid out for us is now we have available a radical meaning in life. Jesus Christ, as he comes onto the scene, doesn't only give us any sort of meaning in life, but he gives us a meaning in life that 
is everlasting and intensified. It's everlasting because it is rooted and grounded in him and is intensified because of the good conduct, this good action, this good works, this bearing fruit is not only for the others that we're focused on, but it is, it is for the one whose image they are created in. The Imago Dei, the doctrine of the Imago Dei, which means being made in God's image and likeness right out of the beginnings of Genesis 1 through 3, is a revolutionary idea in the ancient world. That human beings are more than just the sicknesses that they have, or more than just their place in society, or more than just their connections, and more than just their failures, and more than just their bad day, and more than just their guilt and shame, that people are more than their successes, more than their failures, that people are made in the image of God. And this is what this means. Being made in the image of God and doing the Christian life with, a, with a, an awareness that others are made in the image of God means this at least. It means living fully awakened to the reality and experiencing the gravitas that your friends and family and strangers and neighbors and yes, even your enemies inherently possess the highest possible value and dignity that in the economy of God, the most wretched among us are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. This doctrine transformed the ancient world with Fabiola uh, in the West and uh, Basil of Caesarea. He's a guy I didn't mention. He was operating in the East and both of these are attributed to founding the first hospital, hospitals, public hospitals, because that just wasn't a thing back then. It was because of this doctrine of these people are made in the image of God and they are of intrinsic worth and value that it birthed the revolutionary idea of charity in the ancient world, of taking care of your neighbor and your enemy and everyone that is around you. And what James is saying to us is, if you're walking the Christian life, if you're following after Jesus, then you're doing a good thing. And, and I'm encouraging you, I'm exhorting you to continue on that path, kind of like Sophia is doing with the refugees and everyone that's on that team that's helping people. James is saying, if you're, if you're living that life, then, then show it. Show it through your good works. Show it through your good conduct that is done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, one of the things that I've been thinking about as I've been thinking about the book of James is, is why is his book so challenging? It, and James's letter, let's be clear, James's letter isn't merely challenging, it's nuclear. Commentators and theologians tell us that the reason why it is so 
weighty, that there's such a gravitas to his words, is that first, he is writing in a fractured world. There are all sorts of different um, socio-political, religious possible fractions that are going on at this time. And James is fighting for unity and he's fighting for the purity of the faith. And as he is doing that, he is reaching into his resource bag of theology and he is trying to bring onto the table the most weedy things, the most authoritative, the most powerful things that he can lay out. And it's nothing less than the words of Jesus. He quotes Jesus or makes references to Jesus over 30 times in the five chapters that he writes. And he does this either through direct quotations or through echoes. So he'll quote the royal love, uh, the royal, the royal love, the royal law, which is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, as he does in James 2, 8. Or he'll make these echoes. That's what um, commentators and theologians will call it. So in our verse, for example, he's talking about things like meekness and being full of mercy and peacemaking. And he's contrasting a, a wise life, which is not self-interested. It's not envious, but is radically others-focused and others-orientated. That's the, the wise life, and the unwise life is the self-seeking and bitter, bitterly envious life. And he said, don't do that life. That's not a good life. You're, you're not going to be successful in that. And this is what he's doing. He's echoing the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus' most famous sermon, only 2,000 words long in Matthew 5 through 7. I encourage you to read it, and you'll see all of the parallels, all the the material, the primary source that James is pulling from is being lifted right out of Jesus's words. And that's why James is so challenging and so nuclear is because Jesus's words are so challenging. It's awesome to post on social media or to buy a cup or to have a picture that says, love your enemies. But to do it, to really do it, to do it on social media, to do it with family, to do it with yourself sometimes, is a enormously difficult task to do. And same with this life that James is exhorting us to live. You'll notice the identity markers of the life that is reorientating towards this other's focused and building upon Jesus's teachings, you'll notice the identity markers. And he says it in verses uh, 17. It is one that is, is pure. That means sincere, no ulterior motives. It is one that is peaceable. It is one that is gentle. It is one that is willing to yield. And you might have question that as I did. So I did some research for you. And it means to be reasonable. It means open to learning, willing to be corrected. It is a, a further identity markers are being full of mercy and full of good works without favoritism and without hypocrisy. 
and that there is a curious absence and an intentional war against bitter envy, self-seeking, and confusion and evil in your life. Now, I don't want you to feel condemned as you do an analysis on your own character or your own morning or your own week as I would and be like, oh man, I, I'm literally sucking at all of these things. James probably says one of my favorite lines in the New Testament, and it's in uh, chapter 3, verse 2. And he says this, we all stumble in many ways. How great is that? To have an apostle, I, I kind of picture um, James just kind of sitting down having a cup of coffee with you and you're just unloading your heart. James, I know you're telling me to be pure and peaceable and gentle and full of good works and without favoritism, but man, if, if that's what you're expecting, man, I'm just not living up to that. I'm full of bitter envy. I'm self-seeking most of the time, all the time. Um, confusion and evil and all of these sorts of things. Man, I'm ticking those boxes, not the former boxes. And he says, you know, Gabby or Khadija or Jason or Adriana or whoever, he puts his hand on your shoulder and he says, we all stumble in many ways. <laughs> what grapes from an apostle, the younger brother, half-brother of Jesus to say, you know, we all stumble in many ways. But he doesn't leave us there. He wants to drive home a particular point. When he's talking about wisdom, it's not the first time he's talking about it. There's another time that James talks about wisdom. And he talks about it in chapter 1, verse 5. And he says, anyone who lacks wisdom, pray to your Father in heaven, who will give it to you without reproach, give it to you liberally. In other words, what James is saying to us is that wisdom is key in the life of the Christian. And this wisdom that's key to becoming this new human being, to partaking in this new community, is that God has a posture towards you that is magnanimous. Magnanimous means uh, hyper-generous, delighting in giving. God's posture to you is like James. He puts his hand on your shoulder and he says, you know what? We all stumble in many ways. But you can ask me and I would be delighted to help you because God is not only invested in your future. God is invested in your now. God wants you to be that salt and light in your world. He wants your kindness 
He wants your kindness to be so enormous that all of Canada cannot contain it. He wants you to be that, that shining bright light that others see, that others see those identity markers of pure and gentle and willing to yield and, and people pause and say, I want to know what makes this person that person. And I want to know what this meekness is all about. And with this, I close. You know, meekness in our culture isn't a term that we would throw around all the time. No one's going around and saying, yo, Zoe is uh, a meek kind of guy. Yeah, that's the right word. Nobody, very few people would use that to describe someone in our culture today. But I want you to think about this. And with this, I close. I'm a big fan of reading and I love uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. One of the greatest fictions, I think, of all time. Toss-up between him and Dostoevsky. But in The Hobbit, there's something interesting that happens. Gandalf, the wizard, um, comes to the Shire, where the, the main character, the protagonist, Bilbo Baggins, the Hobbit, um, that's where he lives, and he lives in comfort. And Gandalf calls him to a grand adventure. Now, he doesn't mince words. On this adventure, there will be trials and temptation and suffering. There will be dragons to slay. And he... Bilbo Baggins is invited to come. And on that adventure, he will know who he truly is, what his true relationship to the world is. He will find out what he's really made of. He will find meaning in his life purpose for his life. He will find new fellowship, new friends, meaning new joys and new perspectives. Jesus likewise, through the book of James, says there will be trials and tribulations and temptations and suffering in your life, but I'm inviting you on this adventure to come with me and allow me to show you who you truly are, what you're really made of, and what real meaning in life is. One where Jesus Christ is at the center of it. And your perspective, your focus, is no longer on the heaviness of introspective um, gaze and um, just interested in yourself and envious of others, but rather is radically reorientated and focused on others and elevating others to their rightful place, 
made in the image of God, of infinite value and dignity. And I'm going to call you on this adventure to, to see everything that you're made out of and what I built you and crafted you for. That's the exciting adventure that's in the Bible, in the New Testament. So I want to just thank you so much for um, just spending time in the book of James, pouring yourself a hot cup of tea and reading and rereading it. It's going to bless you. It's going to challenge you. But remember, we all stumble in many ways. And God is generous in his posture towards you to give you the wisdom that you need to get to the other side. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.